What's going on? Good morning. How we doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. You running around like crazy too, or you been? Uh, not like crazy. I, you know, I've been I've been busy and active. That's for sure. Um, but I, you know, I'm both proud and embarrassed to say that I've been playing a pretty good amount of golf. <laughs> <laughs> that's it's the COVID thing to do. What? That's about one of the only things you can do and get out there, right? And yeah, you have your own golf cart, right? And are you been you been playing with some family members or? Hold on, Chad. Yep. Thank you. I'm trying to find some proper light. Yeah. Trying to find some proper light. That's good that you're trying. Most most don't even try. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I got it. It's supposed to be behind the screen. Yeah. Kind of Let's light coming toward that you. works. Light come well, I don't want to look like I'm in jail either. <laughs> Hang hang in there. How was uh how was Louisiana? Um you mean Georgia? Is that talking about area oh, codes? Georgia, yes, area yeah. codes, yes. Oh, it was good. I mean I, I went down there as a uh you could say a dad more more than a scout. Um yeah. So I did the area codes as a dad too. We need to chop that up for sure. Yeah. No, it's yeah. uh it was obviously, it was nice. You know, so I'm furloughed right now being an angel scout. Mm. So, yeah, I think, I believe we're pretty much the only team that's still furloughed scouts, at least the area guy. So, mm -hmm. uh, angels are kind of the, the lapping stock of the scouting community right now. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I loved working for the angels. It's one of the highlights of my baseball life. Yeah. Um, putting that jersey on because I grew up a fan. And so to experience wearing that jersey was a big deal for me. I bet. Because you, you grew up, what, what part of California did you grow up in? Uh, Compton, Long Beach. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You've, you've been around that area your whole life then. Yeah. Yeah. Born in Los Angeles, uh, Compton, Long Beach, went to Paramount High School 100 years ago. And, uh, you know, and so I was, you know, I was very interactive with them from young. I went to uh, spring training in Palm Springs to see them as a young teen and uh, you know I went to a lot of games it was a lot simpler getting there than the Dodger Stadium for sure mm -hmm. uh, so uh, loved both always had a National League and an American League team I'm one of the those old school guys that you know was raised to root for the hometown team you know so <laughs> so to wear both of their jerseys uh, you know, in a professional way was a, was a great honor for me. Great That's blessing. Awesome. That's awesome. So let's dive into talking about, you know, what you did because you've been, you've been around baseball. It sounds like your whole life. I was, I was looking at kind of your background and, and we met them when we met, we were, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but we were at the area code games. We were sitting next to each other, I believe, and watching. A wow. Game. Go yeah. deep. I love that. Yeah. That was the yeah. first time we met. And then I, I didn't know at the time that you were Chris's father. So hmm. that, that was like an after the fact for me. Um, and then I think you, you came back and said, yeah, I, I scouted you, you know, when I was a scout. Yeah. Back in the day. So it's funny how. Well, we, yeah, we actually met as scout and player. I know that it was just a lot of faces with, 
matching polos and khakis sure. on, but sure. but I wrote a, a report on you. I actually dug it up last night. You did? So, yeah, I did. I don't know if we want to go I, there, I, do I'm, we? I, I, yeah, 100%. I, I'm, I'm proud that, you know, maybe you didn't become in the, in the game of baseball what I put on you, but I think as a person and in life that you've exceeded that OFP number. Well, thank you. Thank you. That's, that's good to hear. Yeah, it's, it's interesting always because it's funny because as an eight-year scout now, and there was two guys in particular, I told the story before, but there's two scouts still that scout the Four Corners area, uh, Mitch Zockel with the Nationals, mm -hmm. and then Scott Stanley, who was with the Marlins. Um, mm -hmm. they, they came into my house as a 17-year-old my senior year and, yeah. and gave their spiel and talked about college and pro ball and, you know, just getting to know me as a person and my family. And, uh -huh. and they're, they're, you know, I started scouting, like, do you remember that? I'm like, no, I sorry, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like it, it's all it's all polos, it's caps. Yeah. It's just a blend of so when you have all these scouts and then plus agents and advisors coming into your house, yeah, um, financial people, it's all just a big blend of, oh yeah, okay. I might remember some, some are different, but it's interesting how that all works out. Well, and it, you know, it's really unique in that, you know, here's all of a sudden this tornado around this young person and their families of people that are explaining it like, like um, they know it as well as the scouts and coaches and agents do almost kind of like, so you want to do this or not? And there's so much more to it than that. You know, one of the things that I took pride on uh, as an area guy was, you know, really advocating on behalf of the family because it's their first time going through this process and likely the only time they're going to go through it. But we go through it over and over and over again. So it's a lot simpler in our own mind what young people and their family should do as, as opposed to uh, the, the family itself. So, you know, here's an example. And I think it's from your draft year. Uh, Eric Ireland, right-handed pitcher out of uh, Millican High School pretty high up on my list and at the time that I saw you I was covering Southern California okay and I was looking for ways to to connect in the signability process and so I you know I went into his home and you know it was Eric and his parents and he had a younger sister I asked them hey can I try something a little different a little different approach they said sure I said so here's what I want to do. And I did this for years and families loved it. You know, I would say, I want to ask you all the same question, but I want to ask it in a particular order. I want to ask first Eric, and then I want to bring in mom, and then I want to bring in dad, and then I want to bring in your little sis. And I want to ask you all the same question, but none of you will know what Eric's answer is. And only Eric will know what the dad's answer is, so on and so forth. So yeah. they left the room and I was sitting there with this, you know, high school senior. And I asked him, if you don't make it to the big leagues, what would be the reason? And he said, injury, okay. you know? And so I said, okay, I'm going to go get your mom now. And so without knowing his answer, I asked the mom the same question, mm -hmm. you know, and she talked about the, 
the supervision of it. Well, if he, you know, wasn't properly taken care of and looked after, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I brought the dad in and they're both grinning now because they know their answers and Eric knows him and his mother's answer, but they don't know what the dad's going to answer and so on and so forth. So I went through the whole thing and all four of them had different primary concerns with respect to why they suspected he may not achieve what he was setting out for. Hmm. And, and so we, you know, uh, I told Eric, okay, Eric, tell everybody what your answer was, you know, and they're grinning and smiling. It was a fun interactive activity, um, you know, but in that process, there are so many mysteries and it looks like a highway to your personal heaven mm-hmm. when you're starting out as a player. But guys like you and I know the truth of the matter, you know, that it comes with a lot of disappointment and struggle and adjustment and, and uh, adversity, you know, and all of those things. And so I enjoyed educating families on that part of the process. And then I actually entered the process as a father, right. which kind of made it interesting for me when guys would walk into my home, you know, wanting to do assignability and having done hundreds of these things, <laughs> literally hundreds over 15, 17 years by that time. Mm-hmm. And what their approach was, because I knew what they were trying to do, which is walk out of our home with some arbitrary number that they can throw at a scouting director to to placate the process at that time, you know, but there's more of a truth to it than we know. So. Yeah, that's interesting. So let's, let's kind of talk more about that. So maybe let's back up. Cause I, I want to give the audience an idea of, I think we, we so you had this long scouting career. Uh, you've been coaching for a long time as well, but before all that, you were a player. So tell us about who Rodney Davis was as a player. Well, I was a 16-year-old high school senior, and I had, um, I had committed to Santa Barbara at a high school. I turned 17 uh, a week after I graduated from high school, so I was very young and grew up single parent. <laughs> and, um, you know, and all of a sudden, I started to get some attention late. You know, I was actually sophomore age as a senior, uh, and so I, I – uh, committed to UCSB out of high school and and then you know a junior college coach who was legendary at the time his name's Wally Kincaid he kind of wanted to mentor me through the process and and asked me to consider going the junior college route that he thought it would be a good route and it was it was good counsel you know I was young I went to Cerritos College played two years of junior college ball Cerritos uh, LA Harbor and then I went to Fresno State you know, which was great, uh, you know, the legitimate players all around me. I'm continuing to improve, but I'm a 19-year-old college junior when really, you know, was a freshman and got the opportunity to sign with the Dodgers, went out and played, had a short pro career. And I think it's because, uh, you know, I was always good enough to play well against guys that are a year or two older than me, but I think it stagnated my development a little bit. And maybe cut some things short, not excusing it, but in retrospect, mm-hmm. you, you know, you can see, my goodness, if I was, a, you know, an all-state, all-CIF player as a senior at age 16, that I, <laughs> I could have, it could have changed the arc of my playing career. Nonetheless, I started coaching young, 
you know, and loved it. Uh, had a short pro career, had some amazing experiences as a pro and um, best player that I ever played against in my life. I like to ask young people that, hey, who's the best player you ever played against? Ask kids. And, you know, for me, it was Kirby Puckett. Kirby Puckett was not only a tremendous player, but he made all of the players around him play better because he was on the field. And that's a really unique thing to affect the game that way. Um, but Kirby Puckett did that. So uh, a short pro career uh, in the Dodgers organization, um, you know, but I can look back now and see everything that, that God and life was doing uh, to prepare me for the work that he had me to do. He did not have a long professional career as a player in my future, but he had a long career as a professional in my future. And so the, you know, the few years that I did play, they, they've served me well in life in terms of understanding the grind, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, uh, and development and, you know, why some guys achieve and why some guys don't. So at, at what age were you when your, your pro career ended and you, you started to get into scouting? Was it scouting first? Uh, I, I, I went into coaching right away. I was actually training and had opportunities potentially to sign again. And my high school principal told me that he thought I would make a pretty good coach. And he asked me to consider coming at the ghetto high school that I went to. <laughs> and so I did. And then I thought that the way that you coach was just to be mean to him all the time. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. how'd that work out? Experience that because you play for Roger Fairless, you know, <laughs> who was not a nice man to scouts. <laughs> but he he created a lot of really good players. So so that was my approach early. But you know, I was mentored like men like George Horton and Andy Lopez and Mike Gillespie, and there's so many of them to name that you know I uh, that I can't get through all of. But I just started desiring to be mentored in the process as a young coach. And, you know, as I started coaching and wanting to be good at it, uh, there was a kind of a scouting boom in the late 80s, early 90s, where a lot of guys that were young coaches moved into scouting. That was the talent pool. Now it's different. You know, we'll probably go into that later on how the talent pool of scouting in terms of where it comes from has changed drastically. You know, it used to be that scouting came from the game and now it comes from front offices. And, you know, there are people that are acclimating scouting through education, through higher education. And, and what are your, th what are your thoughts on all that? And walking out into scouting and yeah. not say what? What are you? What are your thoughts on yeah, that? So I, you know, I'd like to. Well, so so I don't I don't think it served the game particularly well, you know. And naturally, I come from a place in the game that uh, it's natural for me to have this point of view and perspective on it. But uh, I still do some some scout schools. I did the major league baseball scout school in term in terms of training and instructing people that had interest in scouting. And, um, you know, and this is an interesting discussion. So I, let me ask you a question. Do you know what the origin of scouting was? Do you know how scouting happened? I do not. 
and so that's an interesting thing because I, I do, um, you know, scouting was started by Branch Rickey uh, and, and the farm system, but uh, clubs would, you know, after your playing career and after you uh, was a, were a minor league coach and had kind of done your service in the game, scouting was actually a retirement job. It was old minor league managers and coaches that would go back into their communities and they would look for kids who had the goods mm -hmm. or they would put tryouts on, or they would know what was going on. And they were connected to these clubs as middlemen and recommending players and signing players and putting them into the system. Okay. So scouting originally started out as something that took a lot of life experience to have credibility. It wasn't something that 20 somethings did. It wasn't something that guys in their early thirties did. It was guys who had seen cycles and generations of players achieve that were making calls on players. Right. And, and it's inverted now it's 180 from that. It's a lot of men who don't have very much life experience yet at all. I mean, what are you, 42, 44, Chad? I turned 43 in a few days, yeah. Amen, right on. Happy birthday, brother. <laughs> so uh, you're realizing now in this season of life how, um, how previous decades have served you and have honed your perspective. Mm -hmm. And it's probably a lot sharper and clearer now. You know, I scouted five years at least before I really had an idea of what I was doing. And you were part of my initial cycle because I can look at your report now and see that the number that I had on you, while completely appropriate for who you were at that time, didn't end up being the number that you achieved to in the game. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that, I, that my report was wrong, um, you know, because there's nuances in that also. Mm -hmm. but that you don't know whether or not your reports are any good in four, four, five, six years right. when you know the truth about what wrote about that player. And so, um, you know, it seems to be one of the things in the game that has been lost is that you can come in and if you have enough data and enough video that you can make intelligent calls with respect to how people are going to achieve. And I, I don't agree with that. I think that it takes real life experience and durations to really good at evaluating their talent. I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, we had our first taste of just video scouting, you know, to get ready prior to the draft. Um, I think that was within with all the scouts trying to figure that out and and knowing like I, you go see a player like you maybe you already have your your thoughts and opinions on a player because you've seen them a little bit and now you just got to write a report and maybe watch a few more videos so you can you can i think do that because you've actually seen the player but for players that are brand new like that you haven't you're just watching a video um and you're just relying completely on that that that's a little bit different animal you know and and that's where I think the fear of the scouts that are, are scouting now, I, they, I think that is a fear of that's where it is going um, and that we're going to completely rely on. Well, Stevie Wonder can see who can play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's easy to do. Uh, you know, Chadson was obvious. You know, what uh, 
I think what scouting is, and I think the ones that that are the most about it and that have true genius in evaluation is like when you play and coach, you know, within a few days after being around a young person, whether or not they've got the goods, there's just, you know, there's something about the major leagues that is in young people early in life and just takes more people time to catch up and see it. Uh, you know, players aren't discovered. We discover players. Mm-hmm. And so as you're, as you're evaluating players and watching them, when you're on the field with them, like, you know, we evaluate sign players, we do elms, you know, which you've experienced and they go out to play development and, and a minor league manager can tell in a week whether or not, and we may be watch a guy two years because he sees his work ethic, he sees how he interacts with others, he has the ability to check his aptitude, whether or not he's able to take information and process it, which are all huge factors mm-hmm. in whether or not a young person is going to find his ceiling in life. But as a scout, those things are really hard to evaluate. So I believe the ones gifted, uh, the Roger Young, was, uh, who's the general manager for the Nationals? I think he's the magic guy. Uh, Rizzo? Mike. Um, Mike Rizzo? He's with Diamondbacks. Mm. The general manager with the Washington. I think he's a really, really good evaluator of high-end talent. They, it's like when they're scouting, they're standing in the middle of the field. You know, and it took me a while to understand that and figure it out. But, you know, uh, we're sitting in the stands, but being able to observe his bench behavior, watching a practice to see how he trains, you know, when he gets on the bus, when he gets off the bus, how much business is about, you, you know, those are little kids that, that aren't boxes in that scouting report that I believe guys who can really scout understand that about young people, which give them the best chance to, um, you know, to, to be credible at a good percentage as opposed to just throwing them out there. And the way that I see it affecting the game is there are people that are funneled to the major leagues because of where they were drafted and how much money they got and they're funneled and their development takes place in the big leagues instead right. of them being ready for the big league. But a lot of these people have to justify the money they gave, how they selected this guy in. So as soon as he had a good five weeks, they move up in the process. Right. But that's really not the way the game is designed to find long-term uh, proper development players. So it's become a little bit of fast food baseball in terms of the development of the player. Would you say that on that Case note, in point, name that you recall uh, and you probably played against. Do you remember Space Hill? Do you remember Ryan um, uh, Anderson, the big right-hander with Seattle? Lefty. Or excuse me, the big, big lefty. They were calling him the next Randy Johnson. He was the little unit. The little unit, yes. So that dude doesn't have a day in the leagues. 
Not one day. And if he was playing in today's game, he would have been brought up at age 20. But Seattle understood development, and so they didn't rush him to the big league before he's ready. You know, good kid, kind of a goofball. Dad was nuts. Um, but uh, in today's game, that guy makes it, whether he earns it or not. And you were still in that generation of players that just because they took good didn't mean they were going to give you the job. You had to earn it. Absolutely. Yeah, it was uh, It was still, like, you. even though, like, when I got to the big leagues, too, like, top prospect, all that stuff. But I, I knew I still had to, if I didn't perform, I was not going to be there long, right? And that's exactly what happened. Right. They give you right. a couple of weeks to see what you can do. Now they're bringing those guys up and, <laughs> you know, they're, they're bringing them up and, and, and giving them, man, they're in the big three months and a guy, a five-year deal securing his, you know, uh, his, him in salary structure that fits for these guys, which is a huge part of it now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was for about the biz of baseball too much. I've just always been about the game. And when I see that, I wonder if as a product, we're not losing uh, the greatness, you know, that, that we're kind of fast-fooding baseball. Yeah, I, w- I would certainly agree. I mean, kids are getting up way faster. They, they all have these specialized coaches for, um, you know, pitching, for hitting. Um, and and I, I've talked to some hitting coaches, and they feel like sometimes they're stepping on eggshells on maybe telling a player, hey, let's maybe try this adjustment or this, because it's, it's like when you talk to a little league player, right? Like, hey, let's try this. Well, I don't want to do that because my hitting coach says not to do that. So it's, I think that's transpiring all the way yeah. up to the big league level. I, I, uh, you know, just based on scouting, you know, it seems like we're just having a conversation about how, you know, life has kind of weaved us together. And here we are sharing from our personal baseball experiences and how life has impacted that and vice versa. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we, I think we're just chopping it up about scouting and, uh, you know, and how scouting has changed and, you know, and what my thoughts are toward that. And, and, and I get it. I, you know, it's easy for people to see guys in my generation of scouting that the game seems to have marginalized and think, ah, you know, the game's changed. He's, you know, he's, uh, he's just a guy that, you know, that, that wants the same influence that he had at one time. And I don't disagree that some of that is true, but you, you know, like I said, you play for Roger Fairless. There's some values that you were taught in this game that will always be with you and that you will always respect and honor in this game. And when those things uh, those values that are tried and true are so dismissive by people based on, uh, you know, some data, you know, data can't tell you who a person is. They can tell you what the likelihood is that they're going to do something, you know, but being a major leaguer, being a pro is about who you are. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily, uh, you know, the numbers don't tell the whole story. And they certainly don't tell the truth about who a player was and how he impacted culture, community, team, winning, so on and so forth. Those are only things that 
that you can experience and attempt to quantify when you've experienced it for yourself. You know, that, that you need that. You, you need that understanding about who a guy is so that you can be very accurate about him because his measurables don't speak to the entirety of who he is. I agree hundred percent. You know, it's, it's a little frustrating when you, the, the quote, the term measurables, right? We have all these things that we are measuring now. It's, it's just like one after the other. And that's a huge part of the puzzle now in regards to scouting. I think we all get that. I think we're okay with that, but how much are we leaning on it rather than do our, do we really know who this kid is? Do we know what he's all about? Um, I think going into a house for 30 minutes, even even an hour, we really only get a glimpse of what they're all about because they're also trying to be on their best behavior, um, maybe put on an act, you know, because if we maybe we've heard stories about how this kid really is. So for those players who are really interested in, like you were saying, we're really kind of trying to watch how they interact. And even then that can be an act, right? <laughs> when they're hanging out in the dugout or being, because they know people are watching as well. So it's interesting. And then they, you get these kids in the Meyer leagues and all of a sudden there's issues. And then it's like, well, how come you guys didn't know about this? I, I haven't had that personally happen, but I've heard stories. And, or it's the other way around where you, you knew this information as a scout. We took him anyway because he's, a, he's really good. But you continue to have prob problems with him in the Meyer leagues and low A ball. You know, you see these signs, but they, they're good. And there's, they, you know, that bag kind of keeps going up with them all the way up to the major leagues. And, what do you know? They're still a turd in the big leagues. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, look, so you, you take this young person and you know, you invest in them, but really uh, you, you're, you, you don't know what you're getting. And then all of a sudden you find out these things. Now, some of the fault is baseball's fault. And the, the reason I say that is because baseball has done a really poor job of educating young people what baseball is really all about, you know, and the, the generation of your son, how they've grown up in club play and travel ball, names on the back of the unis from the time they're seven, eight years old, they get a false sense of what this game is about. And so now all of a sudden, they get in the real world of baseball and it's different. It's not a showcase environment. It's not, you know, um, show your tools. It's about grind, get better, play, win, period. Right. It's a profession. And if you don't do your job, you can lose your job. That's one of the interesting things. And I tell people, hey, I want to be a pro player, a big leaguer. I want to be a scout. I love to be a GM. I'll, and I'll tell them this. I worked in a game for 25 plus years. And one of the interesting things about working in the game of baseball is that you can be good at your job. You can do a good job and you can lose your job and be a person of good character. That's entirely possible. Mm -hmm. What kind of profession is that to go into? Really? But we love it. You right. feel me? We love it because we get that about it but that's what we're not telling young people is like hey you could th hit 300 and get released you ever thought about that 
Right. And the guys that get it will go, I'm down. They'll right. they'll engage right. in that. But the ones that don't get it, they're going to be like, well, how much more money are you going to give me? So if I fail, my financial uh, future is secure. No, bro. It's, it's a street fight. Right. Can you get down? Are you, can you engage in this knowing that you could, you could have a really good year and, and, and that's as a general manager, as a, as a coach, as a scout, as a player, you can be good at your job and do good at your job and lose your job. Absolutely. Yeah. Someone else comes in and just says, yeah, you, you did amazing, we're, but we're right. going another direction. <laughs> what? I'm a good dude. I work my tail off. I was productive. Really? Yeah. I'm released. Come on. I, you know, so, and, and to be love frank, it. Yeah. To we be frank, it. I think one of my best friends just got let go as a scout the other day. Um, one of the, one of the best scouts I've ever seen. And does an amazing job. And he's like, yeah, I just got let go. And so that what really frustrates me with professional sports as a whole is I think it's a relationship type business, right? You, you're the GM, you want to bring in your guys, you want to be around your guys. I get all that. But also what about the guys that are, have been in there for a long time? They, they do a really good job. They've produced as a scout players you know, we're bringing pretty good players to the organization and still, you know, see ya. It's like, we're going to go in a different direction. So that's, that's life, right? That's life in general, whether it's sport or just a corporation, a business. So those are the things we have to deal with. So here's, you know, uh, on the Mount Rushmore of my baseball experience is uh, Pat Gillick. I'm sure you remember the name. He's a Hall of Famer. And I worked for Pat Gillick. And I learned a lot about how to be as a baseball man from Pat Gillick. And Pat Gillick had a reputation of when he went places, he wasn't destructo guy. He brought in one or two or three of his guys and he always rode with them. But some guys clean house, but Pat never did that. Pat was a man that, that if you were there, he figured you deserve to stay. Nobody lost their job when Pat Gillick was hired. Mm -hmm. And so interesting story, I, you know, pretty young scout. And uh, Gillick gets a job with the Mariners. And we have, we used to have these things called org meetings and player development and scouting would come together for a, for a kumbaya and discuss all the players in the organization and that sort of thing. And it usually happened before the winter meetings because clubs wanted to go into winter meetings with their lieutenants and generals prepared for whatever reason. And back in those days, man, there could be some fist fights in the room because right. some player development guy would say something about what a scout signed and vice versa. Well, he could, he could play when I signed him. You guys screwed him up. All those arguments were happening. And so I found myself next to Pat at dinner one night. And I said, you know, Pat, you don't say very much in the meetings. And he said, you know what, RD, I already know what I know. I want to hear what you know. You never know where a good idea may come from. And man, that really, it's just almost like he wrote it on my heart to be a great listener. 
Right. You know, and, and as baseball men, we have a tendency to want to engage and say what we know, you know, but Pat was a brilliant listener, which I think was one of the reasons why he got to the Hall of Fame. But um, learning from a man like that, from that experience, and whether it's as a player or a scout, manager, it seems like we're almost in a time and game where the more experience that you have, the less valuable that you become to the game. You know, that they seem to be eliminating people with really good experience that are super pros. How, how do you do that and expect to keep a product best? Well, if you look at the bottom line and guy's salaries, okay, you can make a justification that he's making too much money. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't. He, he, he didn't deserve that. The labor 20, is 30 years. wages, right? 20, 30 years of scouting is like he didn't deserve that. He didn't put in the time, right? You know, that makes zero sense to me, right? Yeah, so well, and I don't want to get caught up as a game basher, even though I am, right. you know, but I don't want to <laughs> get caught up in that. I just, you know, I, you know, I'm enjoying being here and. And you know, hoping to be helpful to ever process you got going on right now. Yeah. So let's talk about dive into your son. Wait, we have, we got to get to your kid. So father of Chris Davis, the the kid who mashes for the A's. Tell us about Chris. What was his story growing up like? So you know, I have a lot of favorite stories when it comes to all of my children and. And I'm a, you know, I'm a storyteller. I, you know, I use them as parables. And so, you know, I was scouting. And by the way, uh, they could never pay us enough money for being away from our families as much as they ask us to be away from our families. That's another statement that I will make about scouting that, that, uh, you know, there's some uh, young people that don't understand that, that are leading clubs and leading scouting the children are still very young and, you know, but they grow up so fast. So uh, I think though I was with Seattle at the time and running around everywhere, just, you know, uh, spent a lot of nights out of my own bed. And my uh, oldest, Christopher, I have three, uh, two sons and a daughter, Chris, Aaron, and Sarah, you know, he's a regular conversation when people interact with me. And yet, you know, you have multiple children, so you know, it's like, man, I, they're all interesting to me and special and unique. And, you know, and certainly he's worked super hard and, you know, has found his way to the level that he aspired to, but uh, he's a little boy, probably in second grade. And, and I was on the road for two weeks. I made one of those uh, four corners, Colorado, New Mexico <laughs> runs down through Vegas and back into St. George before, yeah. you know, trying to get to Prescott or Flagstaff or something. <laughs> one of those 14 day runs. And every night I'm calling home and my wife is, his mother is telling me, um, man, he's got this reading assignment, he doesn't want to do it. And they're jousting about it every day. He's a little boy. And so I get home after 12, 13 days on the road, set my bag down, go to hug my wife. And 
She says, you need to go talk to your son. We just had it out. He will not do this reading assignment. And I had talked to him about it every other night while I was gone. And I go in his room. This dude's 32 years old now and has hit over 200 home runs in the big leagues. Yeah. I go in his room and he's sitting on the bed and he's just tears in his eyes, you know, doing that thing that kids. Yeah. I go, hey, man, what's the matter? He goes, I don't. I don't like reading. And um, uh, and I said, well, dude, reading's important. And he just looked at me. He had tears on his face and he goes, what difference does it make? I'm gonna play in the big leagues one day. <laughs> and so on one hand as a dad, I'm like, whoa, he just said that like it's real. He was eight. Wow. But on the other hand as a dad, I'm like, hey dude, uh, if you play in the big leagues and you're not a good man and you can't read and you're unintelligent, do you think I'm going to be proud of you? No, daddy. <laughs> so uh, let's do this. So we sat down, we got through the reading, did his book report. Well, he had forgotten that story. And years later, he's in camp with Milwaukee and he hits his way onto the club in spring training. It's one of those years where they had the World Baseball Classic. And so Ryan Braun was gone a lot and he got an opportunity to show what he could do. And he just was knocking it around spring training. Mm -hmm. So comes home, he tells me, Hey, guess what? I made the club. And I was like, man, I'm so happy for you. Then that night he was just nervous. Hey dad, do you have any gum? Can I borrow a comb? Look at my dome, bro. He's asking me <laughs> if he can borrow a comb and I ain't got no hair. Right. I'm like, hey, are you nervous? He's like, yeah, I am. I said, you want me to tell you a story? So I told him that story. He had forgotten about it. And so, um, you know, your son is about to take you on a magic carpet ride as a parent. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm 30. My, my son's 32 years old, and I still get the emotional candy of watching him play a baseball game, which is what? a lot of participation is for them young, whether it's a school play or whether it's a sport, there's some emotional candy that happens for us as a parent that we really dig, you know what I'm saying? We really dig this emotional candy. Yeah. And if we're not careful, you know, and we see a lot of parents getting strung out on that emotional candy and they're not able to manage it or keep it sugar free or something. Like and then it's spoiling the process for a lot of parents. But, you know, my son wasn't, um, he wasn't, uh, you know, a guy who was a, a top prospect out of high school, even though he had been raised around the game and I knew he could hit Chad. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I knew it when he was seven or eight years old, when you hear that sound, you know, or when your kid is, 14 and then you go do the Florida State League and some guy from you know named Miguel Cabrera is taking BP and you recognize that sound in your own son mm -hmm. like okay but I, I also knew that I also knew the truth about it you know and that people get misevaluated every day mm -hmm. people get overvalued and people get undervalued and so he learned work ethic really good and he saw what the game was about and it allowed him to take a little bit of a a less what is now traditional route through showcases i'm proud to say 
that you can search the entire world and you will never find a picture of my son in a perfect game shirt and hat. That's not to, you know, dismiss perfect game because what Jerry Ford has done has created a, a different paradigm for the game that has served a lot of young people very well. But I also don't believe that you have to be a showcase player to make it to the big leagues, you know, that you can do it the independent of the amount of money that parents seem to be uh, fooled into believing is the only route to success and achievement in the game of baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, so, you know, we just worked on getting to work. I took him around it a lot. Uh, you know, he was able to get next to it, you know, met his hero, Ken Griffey Jr. when he was about eight, nine years old. It may have been right after that time that, you know, or right before that time because he was feeling so confident, you know, but he wasn't a Baseball America poster boy or anything, but he's found his way to the league and and uh, I know how hard he works. He's having a really difficult year uh, and struggling. You've been there as a player, you know, and so my prayer over him is one of encouragement and and just remember how important the team is and how he's been the wind in their sails frequently. And so to ride the wind of other sails, that's okay. Um, but, you know, when they struggle as a parent, it's really no different than when they're eight or nine or 10 or 14 years old and they struggle. You feel that. Now, having been a guy who's been on the grind, you know, there are parents that can't manage a bad club tournament emotionally they can't manage it and so what makes you think that you can manage the struggle and difficulty of 162 games Mm -hmm. you don't have what it takes to parent a kid to that level of achievement and there's something about that that's important the way that we interact with them as a parent and develop them and not make it so much about us and what our hopes and dreams are but you know, being alongside of them, because if I can stay level and calm, which I've had to, you know, I saw him sit the bench in college, you know, and knowing that my kid can rake and watching him hit off of the bench his sophomore year, um, you know, as a bench bat. Now that's what he is right now. And so, you know what, that's what I told him. There may be a time in the future where this is your role in this game. And so get good at it. And so that, you know, it's interesting how that parallels now because that's essentially what he is. He's a, he's a bench bat. He's somebody that Bob Melvin is looking right now to come and impact the game with a swing. Uh, so those are the, the things that we've been on this journey with together. But really, you know, there's so much more to it than that. I enjoy spending time with my son and his sons. You know, but we don't sit around saturating ourselves with baseball. We've both been career baseball men. And so, you know, it's fun to have those conversations with him and to be able to train and mentor him through whatever he's going through, the highs and the lows. You know, but mostly talking about, you know, hey, how's the house coming? How are the boys? 
you know, how's, how's the wife? What can we do fun? Do you want to go to this bowl game? Just different things like that yeah. is the season that I'm in now. Not necessarily, you know, that youth league dad that like, hey, what's going on? You know, or why aren't you playing? Nah, dude. Yeah. You know, I, I just, for me, my, what I haven't experienced as a parent, you know, that I'm going to enjoy is seeing him on a winning team in the playoffs or seeing him, you know, participate in a World Series. To me, man, it doesn't get any better than that. I've seen my son have a lot of success. And so we've been fortunate that way. But to see him experience winning at that level, man, that would give my heart great joy. <laughs> yeah, you go to a World Series game, right? Seeing on the big stage and performing, uh, hitting a home run, doing something like that that's just, you know, probably tears to your eyes. I would imagine that that would, that's what it would, the result would be. <laughs> and then not necessarily being the man in that scenario, but to see your child's joy as he celebrates with others, an accomplishment that they all had two hands on the rope on. And to know that it's not just him and I that are enjoying something that he did, but him and his brothers and their family and community sharing in that joy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he, he snuck one over the boards in Yankee stadium in a playoff game late. Good for you. <laughs> but man, to, to be jumping up and down at home plate in Yankee stadium with his teammates, to me, that's what it's about. Mm -hmm. You know, that I love that part of the game. And when we're done with it, we don't necessarily remember how well we did all the time. We certainly remember when we played well, you know, but the, it's the relationships, the teammates, the camaraderie that is really what you take away from all of it that's precious to you, not any particular day that you played well. So that's my two cents. Yeah, absolutely. So how is he – I mean, that's probably a great lesson, too, where he's had a lot of success. You say over 200 home runs has been now he's uh, more of a, a bat that comes off the bench, is going to be used in a, a very strategic situation from the manager. What would your advice be for that kid that's in college um, or a junior college, like an amateur player that is, is that role of a player right now? Yeah, and, and, you know, that, that would be my counsel is that, that at some level of the game, this might be your role and what makes you relevant to the team. We don't get to tell baseball who we are. Baseball tells us who we are, you know, and there's a lot of young people and families that, that look at that. Here's, you're an example. I think you were a center fielder that moved to shortstop your senior year of high school. And one of the questions was, can Hermanson stay at shortstop? Right. You know, uh, and I think that you got the opportunity to go out and play in the middle for a while and then eventually reverted back to center fielder. Mm -hmm. But you didn't tell the game who you were. The game told you who you were. And that would be my counsel, that you can be very successful and be very impactful in a limited role. 
That's one of the things that baseball has forgotten about itself and makes it really cool that on any night, any player in the big leagues can be the best player in the game. Mm-hmm. And, and baseball is so busy trying to tell us, no, 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 it's Mike Trout. It's, um, uh, it's uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. It's, they're trying to tell people who they should like. Y'all, you're supposed to like these players. <laughs> supposed to like Bryce Harper. And they keep showing. And one of my favorite things about baseball is that every game, every player has a chance to be the best player on the field that day. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of days where Mike Trout, friend Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, and Bryce Harper are the best players on the field that day. But some days it's Chad Hermanson. And that's so cool about baseball because the first games that I went to, the guy who played good was the guy that I fell in love with. It wasn't necessarily, oh, you have to be a Willie Mays fan. Eventually I discovered him, but the way that I discovered the game was I went and saw Willie Davis play and Willie Crawford. And those were my guys, you know, but I had a lot of players that, man, they just played good for a week and I became a fan of that player and followed them. And you have that same testimony in life where, you know, maybe in double A or triple A, you scorched it, some little kid came up to you, you signed a ball for him. (laughs) And all of a sudden you're the guy. And he he rode with you, your ups and downs, and wanted to see you do well because of how you made him feel. And baseball has forgotten that about itself, that on any given night, any player in the league can be the best player in the game. Here's an example. You're watching ESPN or MLB Network, and they're showing uh, spring training highlights. And... The number seven prospect went, you know, one for four with two punches. So what? Why do we always need to know only who these guys want us to know about? Just tell me who played good. Right. And if it's some guy with 97 on the back of his jersey that hit two doubles from the fifth inning on and made a diving play, he was the guy that day, right. not the number seven prospect. <laughs> We're going to always hear about those guys. But just tell me who played good. Don't tell me, don't show me exclusively the highlights of somebody that you want me to see. Just tell me who played good. And baseball's forgotten that. Mm -hmm. And I miss that about baseball. Just tell me who played good. Tell me who won. I don't need to know what what, uh, Stanton did or what Judge did. Uh, You know, but the Yankees lose eight to three. What? Look at how far Judge hit one, but the Yankees lose eight to three. I, come on. You know, somebody created eight runs for the Rays. Mm-hmm. Tell me who did that. <laughs> yeah, it's Let like the seeing. Game decide who can play instead of always trying to tell me who I should like. I'll pick it. Yeah, it's like when you see that the ESPN ticker goes across and it says, like, Judge or Stan, 0 for 4, 3 Ks. Like, okay, well, what about. <laughs> Who played good? So and so that went three, three for three with a double. It's interesting. Baseball's forgotten that about itself, and you know, and they keep 
you know, they keep talking about who the face of the game is. And so who's, who's the last face of the game in baseball? Jeter, right? Sure. He was there. When Jeter was 26 years old, no one was talking about him being the face of baseball. He just became it. Right. And now, you know, they're introducing who the face of baseball is. Can we just let the game decide? Right. As opposed to you telling us. And I get it. It's about selling jerseys and different things like that. These people are in it to make money. Mm -hmm. But for me, I just love the game. It's beautiful and interesting to me. And, man, I've, I've learned from some amazing people. Dusty Baker, he manages in the same division as my son plays in. And I can't root against him. I love him. <laughs> I'm not rooting for him when they play uh, the athletics. But I'm not rooting against Dusty Baker in life. I think he's an amazing person um, and was good to me as a young player. You know, when I was a young nobody in the minor leagues, Dusty Baker treated me like I was his brother. You know, so I, I love that about him. To me, he's the face of baseball. Mm, that's interesting. And my son, you know, not necessarily who ESPN or MLB Network is telling me who the face of the game is. I got my own. You know, one of them wears number two for Oakland and the other one <laughs> manages for, uh, for the Astros. Right. That's awesome. Well, yeah, you want to have you guys you root for. Obviously, having your son in the big leagues is a – is a huge help and then what's cool about that is you get to not only i'm assuming you watch your son do you what would you say watch every game try to yeah Close yeah one of the cool things is though like i don't i don't track it like that if i yeah. if i look at it too much or i'm invested in it too much i never you know i never do searches or anything like that um that I'll start to get uneasy about it. And so, you know, this has happened to me a dozen times over the years where um, they'll play a day game and I'm unaware that they played a day game and I'll go online in the evening thinking that they're playing at six o'clock or seven and they already played. Right. And I'm, I'm so glad when that happens because it's like, it's not the most important thing in the world to me. Right. You know what I'm you saying? Still, you still that, have your life to live, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm living my life that I'm not jammed up with it like that. But, yeah. dude, I think about it often, sure. you know, and I want to see their team do well. And, you know, the the one of the cool things about it, and you might get an opportunity to experience this as well with your boy, is, like, we miss them when they're little boys, when they're 10 and when they're 12 years old. We miss the, the boy face on our sons and your family and your father can speak to this. When they play, sometimes you get to see the little 11 year old's face again. You get to see that joy on your, on your adult child that he had when he was a kid that lit you up. That's the sugar. That's the emotional sugar for us as parents and the emotional candy. And so that's probably my favorite thing about it is once a week, twice a week, I get to see my nine-year-old boy again. I get to see my 13-year-old boy again. I get to see my 11-year-old boy again. I love that about this experience. But 
it comes with a lot of failure, mm. which we have to learn how to manage as parents. It's not our children's success. That's the easiest thing in the world to manage. You just smile. But it's their struggle and their difficulty and their challenge that is, is what is difficult as a parent. And they don't tell you that when you're going into this. Your father and your mother weren't aware of the struggle yet and how that they internalize that themselves, yeah. you know? And, and so that he's 32 years old, Chad, you know, that's a long time to carry all of those <laughs> dishes you have to wash until dinner is served again. <laughs> yes, no doubt. Well, I think I have a good perspective on it for me, but it's not something that I walk around telling people, Hey, my kid plays in the big leagues. It's almost like, they, um, you know, their reaction is like, wow, Chris Davis is your son. And I tell them, yeah, and Aaron Davis and Sarah Davis. Right. And my grandchildren are Pablo and Phoenix because I want to introduce them to all of the, you know, of the things that are great and not just, you know, just, oh, okay, yeah, my kid hit another home run. <laughs> I've seen him hit a bunch of them. Right. Not bragging. But man, I might know my kid can hit since he was little. Yeah. Little. That's awesome. Well, it's been fun to watch him and kind of watch his growth. And I, I literally have not paid a lot of attention once COVID hit. I have really not watched many games, to be frank with you. I've kind of taken a break, you could say, um, involving myself in different things and doing these interviews and trying to prepare for those. And um, But I think that's really cool that you've, you're, you're basically saying, look, I got, I got other people that I made. <laughs> I didn't just make Chris. I made these other kids. <laughs> well, and but and the other thing is, is that, and you understand this is as a scout. You know, when when you work in the game, there are people that are telling you about their kids all the time, or you're around people that are talking about their kids in grandiose terms. And I just never wanted to be that parent that you know, that was constantly, you know, throwing shine at my kid and, and his experience. I, I let him make his way, you know, and make his reputation as opposed to being the dad that was out there blowing a trumpet. I was in the dad, you know, I was the dad hitting fungos and throwing in the cage and right. training him and showing him and taking him on road trips when I covered the Eastern League and him seeing what it was like. I was that dad. I was, I was uh, introducing it to him, but I wasn't presenting it to everyone with these, uh, you know, with this, hey, look at how cool my kid is. He can do this thing. Yeah. Uh, and we experienced that a lot as scouts, people being effusive about their children. And so I'm effusive about him to him, but I'm humble before others about him. Yeah, I think that's a good route to go. Yeah, it's there when you're around people that kind of maybe because you call it pimping your kid, right? You're just constantly the parent that posts every single day, hey, my kid's hitting in the cage again. Uh, <laughs> my kid's hitting in the cage again tomorrow. I'm like, 
okay, but yeah, so so are millions of other kids. Like what what does that mean, right? So, yes, I, I, yeah, your kid took BP today, so did mine, and right. I'm not posting it on social media. Right. And he's 32, so. Gotta, gotta put that grind in. He's grinding every day, just grinding. <laughs> And again, uh, it's it, and it, but it's the part of that too is it's fun. Um, you want to share your kid with the world. Of course, there's, there's that part too. So I I don't want to bag on parents for doing that, but um, I think as a parent, well, you I just, kind of have an idea. I, I I just think that you know it's a joy that you share in your family, but um, you know I I noticed this very young that people have kid envy. And, you know, they just want to see their own kid do well, you know, but I believe this. I believe that that God makes it so that there's enough success and struggle in life for all of us. And there is no one success that will ever cost my children success. You know, that that I'm always have joy in my heart for all the success I see around me. I don't feel like it belongs to me. God has given me a lot of success in life and a lot of joy. And he's given me uh, my measure of struggle and difficulty, too. And so I see I, I've witnessed it where parents are almost like tearing other kids down to make theirs look better. And I just didn't want to get caught in that parent trap, having the appearance of, you know, having to convince people that my children were credible, you know, or that their children weren't. I just was rooting for all of them growing up and I've been able to enjoy a good deal of it as a parent. You know, but but I'm always happy to see people successful. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, it's uh, when you get caught up in, you know, you you hear you hear things parents will say about a certain player that's not their kid. Um, and I think we've all been guilty of it at some point. But when you're aware of it, you're like, oh man, that didn't that didn't sound right. Like I didn't I didn't mean to say that about that kid. Like he that he didn't deserve that. Right. Or so we we're aware of it. We change our thoughts about it. So that's, you know, that baseball did prepare me for that, you know, as a parent. And so, you know, I've never, hopefully I've never talked too much about it. Um, you know, I love interacting with it. You know, it's again, I, you know, I'll get to see my kid play a baseball game today. He's 32 yeah. years old. That's a pretty cool thing. But again, it's also like, man, when they struggle, it doesn't, doesn't feel any different than when they were little. You just, your heart breaks for yeah. them, you know, it's like, feeling, yeah. we can do it, man. So, <laughs> so, you know, to that end, I'm just happy when he makes contact, just like when he was seven, just, I just want him to hit it, whatever yeah. happens, happens. Just put it in place right. somewhere. As as it, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, yeah, that's. Yeah. You know, that's a little bit of me in a nutshell. Awesome. Well, Ronnie, this has been outstanding, man. I, I knew you would have some great info for us. Um, the first father I've spoken to that son's in the big leagues. You've had an amazing scouting career. What are you doing now? Are you still involved in the game? 
Uh, I, I'm doing some private instruction, some mentoring. I do some uh, some scout schools that are privatized. You know, I'm involved with some projects like that. Um, you, you know, I've spent a, a good season of life, almost 30 years, really being engaged. And, and I'm on a bit of a sabbatical in terms of freshening up. I'm doing a lot of journaling. Some of these things that I shared with you, I want to journal. I can see how they have value. I, you know, a bit of a parent mentor, you know, when it comes to dads that I know, I think that there's more coaching and mentoring that needs to occur with parents than, than with kids. And so I know that people hire me to train their kid, you know, but I, I look at it as like, man, I'm training you how to train your kid. Right. You know, that here's, here's some things that you can do that are interactive with him because you guys are going to keep this connection. The sooner that I can get your kid off of me and my instruction, the better for you. You know, that, and that's why I make them journal a lot of things that I share with them. You know, you need to write it down. You need to start keeping a journal of wisdom that is spoken into your life so that, um, so that you can reference it down the line. And so, you know, that's my fun. I used to be wide in this process, interacting with a lot of people. And in this season of life, I'm looking to be deeper with less people. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. I love what we do, though. Once a scout, always a scout. I love scouting. I'm passionate about it. I've learned from some of the best. You know, I, I was trained by great scouts, and I've had conversation with so many impressive people. There's still a lot of uh, great, great scouts in the game. And, you know, Dayton Moore, who's the general manager of the Royals, man, I think he totally gets what it's about. You know, I think he's a, just a true gem and a pearl in the game. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Roger Youngward, who gave me my start in the game in Seattle. Just a brilliant baseball man, probably the best GM that never became a GM. And certainly Pat Gillick and Dijon Watson and uh, Frankie Maddox. And the list goes on and on of men that I've learned life wisdom through this game from. And so that's what I'm doing now. I'm, you know, I'm journaling that and I'm sharing it uh, so that it can continue because again, in the game, we're losing that, you know, and people are leaving the game. Uh, more people are leaving the game and forgetting that. And so that's the baseball I was taught that it's a, uh, you know, that it's training ground for life, you know, and uh, it's not life, but man, what a beautiful game. I love this game. That's awesome. That's great. I'm glad you're still involved in, in mentoring and helping and not only kids, athletes, but also parents. So that, that's really cool. Well, awesome. Man. Well, I've taken a lot of your time, Mr. Davis. So I want to thank you for coming on board with me and uh, I know you've been following the show for a little bit. And I'm like, I got to get Rodney on here. It's like, I know he's got some good stuff. Man, I, I, I can't even tell you. I, you know, I'm a, a huge fan of yours. Um, you know, like, I, I never lost the fan in me as a scout. Or, or you do lose it, you know, but it's been returned to me because I no longer work in the game and I have a son who plays. And so I'm a fan of the game again. But 
Um, I'm a fan of yours. I saw you play. I can I read your report before I let you go? <laughs> sure. All right. <laughs> You're gonna blow me up. Love it. <laughs> hey, Chad. It's so dusty and old. Uh, love it. And look at this, man. Back when we were handwriting reports. All right. All right. And doing them in triplicate. <laughs> it was before computers, my man. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's I got you right here because I looked it up last night. That's funny. Chad Hermanson, Green Valley. I put a 60 on you. So you know the 2080 scale? I, I, I dropped a 60 on you. Okay. And like I said, in life to me, when I see what you're doing and who you are, I think that you're more than a 60 in life. Thanks, man. Um, six head, six power, six runner, six base runner. I went average arm. I went below average accuracy. Um, 60 fielder with 50 range. Mm. So... Here's what I here's what I wrote. I'll take a picture and send it to you. Didn't play shortstop till junior year in high school. Previously center fielder. Good work habits. Is that true? Absolutely. Yes. The first thing I wrote about you wasn't an opinion. It was true. That's right. <laughs> Love that. Doesn't talk too much. You were kind of a quiet kid. You weren't. You know, uh, Chris Bryant and and. Bryce Harper, those guys, when they were kids, they were all over town having conversation with scouts, very interactive. You know, both Mike and uh, what's, what's Harp's dad's name? Ronnie. They would talk to scouts. They had great relationships. You were very quiet, very chill, you know, kind of had a little John Wayne to you. Leads by example, all business type makeup, lots of solid contact, alley to alley, line drive hitter with power. Chance to be everyday five tool second baseman and hit in the first three spots of the order. I liked you at second. Yeah. I thought you were kind of a Ryan Sandberg type. Yeah. You know, that was athletic enough to make the move to second base. It's, so that's my report on you. I put a 60 on you. And and I found it last night and it just blessed my heart, man. <laughs> you know, so I'm a big fan of yours. To be asked to do this is a great blessing to me you know, a great blessing. So thank you. Reach yeah. out, man. I'd, I'd love to talk to you whenever you, you want to chop it up. Absolutely. Yeah. I definitely want to keep this relationship going and, and seeing that it's funny because you know, being a, a quote of 60, that's obviously what I had hoped for as well. <laughs> and no brother, you did it. You yeah. did it. it, but it wasn't on the field. It's in life. And ultimately that's who we are. It's not just what we do. It's who we are that that makes us a 60 or a 40. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's absolutely true because it's so easy. And as a player, it takes a little bit of time. A person like me, a, a prospect that didn't didn't become that 60, didn't become the, the 50, 60, 70 on the scouting scale. But man, married, I got four kids like I'm I'm proud of the accomplishments there that I've been able to do. Um, but it takes time to get over that fact that you didn't become a 60. So those are the things like you share with, with parents and family. They're like, Hey, that's okay. Like you still have a lot of life to live. Like I was done playing at 30, you know, injuries limited me there, but I'm like, man, I, I got a lot of life left, you know, so I better get this thing right. 
<laughs> right? right? But but I saw your character, and that's the reason for the number. I had seen your talent before, you know, but I was right about you as a person. You're 60. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. That's awesome. Awesome, man. Well, I'll definitely have you on again. I hope to reach out to you at some point and see in California. I don't know where it's going to be, but. Hopefully California opens up at some point. No, this has been this great. so much fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is great. When I'll uh, I'll get it all edited up. I'll piece together it for us. Okay. And I'll make sure I get it out to you. Uh huh. Right, brother. Thank you. Bless you. Yeah. And bless your family, Chad. You as well. Nice visiting with you. You too. Thanks for your time, Ronnie. Appreciate it, man. See you, man. Take care.